Hello and welcome to another unprofessional. I am Dave Wiskus, and as always, to my very far right is sexy Lexi Friedman. Hi, Dave. Hi, Lex. And this week, our guest is Jason Snell, who may or may not fire Lex by the end of this show. Oh, it's almost certain that I will. I'm hoping for it. I'm not going to lie. I think it would make for great audio. Agreed. As I listen to your podcast, I fire Lex like every five minutes. Well, the, the reason we, we do we keep making the joke about Lex getting fired is to hopefully maybe take the wind out of the sails of him getting fired. I don't want to get the guy in trouble. No. I, I like to take credit for your entire format, which is to, to talk about things that aren't related to Lex's job. Yeah, it worked. It turned out to be the best thing that could happen to the show. Yeah, I agree. But I think the last thing the world needs is another uh, podcast with two guys sitting around talking about computers. No, I agree. It should be somebody who should be talking about computers but isn't. That's a much more interesting. I'm, I'm not kidding. It's a much more interesting podcast, actually. It builds tension. I've, I've been loving it. I mean, I would also listen to a podcast of like people's grandmothers, so people who didn't know anything about computers talking about computers. Talking about <laughs> computers. Yeah, that would be. That would be good. That should be another show on Mule Radio. <laughs> if it were my grandparents, it would be very. It would be a lot of dead air. You know what we never do? We <laughs> never we never talk about and promote the app. We never say anything about the Mule Radio app. It's a beautiful app. And it's, it's, it's the price is right too. It's a great price. It's it's the freest of the podcast apps. It's the low low price of free, yeah. as they say. Yeah. It's a great app, and uh, it's, if you're not listening to the show right now through that app, you should go check it out. In the app store, In it's called. Store. There's what's it, what's the official name? Uh, well, Mule Radio. I think if you just type Mule, Mule Radio, Mule Radio, Radio. Right comes up. Jason, who are you? Right. Tell us about yourself. Tell the listeners uh, who you are. You know who I am, Lex. <laughs> I've never met this man before in my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, my name is Jason Snell. I am the editorial director at IDG. Uh, we are the publishers of uh, Macworld, PC World, and TechHive. And uh, prior to being elevated to this exalted position, I was the editor-in-chief of Macworld for about uh, six or seven years. So I'm your boss. So for as long as Dave has been alive. <laughs> Roughly. Roughly. I've been in the technology industry longer than most of the people who use the technology have been alive. <laughs> It seems, yeah. I gotta say, this is kind of a, a thrill for me, and I had a similar moment when uh, when Dan Warren was on. I've been a, a reader and a fan of MacWorld for a long time, so to have have so many MacWorld people just hanging around like this is kind of cool. It's uh, it shows how much we love Lex. <laughs> oh, I don't know, if... or how much we hate Lex that we're sabotaging his podcast. Right. <laughs> One of those. What's well, interesting is you know he gets so excited about you guys being on the show, but doesn't care at all that I I co-host it with him. Well, I've kind of gotten over that. Like, you've lost right. your luster. I don't want to say it that way, but... No, it's it's pretty fair. I lost my luster in around 87. Yeah, we were just saying that at a meeting. <laughs> Lex has really lost his luster. The novelty is worn off. Brutal. Yeah. So, Jason, I heard once, I heard this rumor. <laughs> rumor. There's a rumor going around. Huh. That you were in a, well, a serious, life-threatening accident at yes. one point. Are you okay? Yeah, well, that's, that may be overstating it, but I, what I'd like to say is that I... um. I'm I'm 41 years old, so I was not born in the 19th century. You don't look a day over I like, 40. I like to think, thank you, I like to think, you can't see me now, though. I'd like to think that I may be the one of the youngest, if not the youngest person to ever be injured in a horse and buggy accident. <laughs> How does that even happen? Where does one find a horse and buggy? Oh, man. Well, I, well so I grew up... Um, it, which is funny for for somebody involved in the technology industry. I grew up in the out in the countryside in the in the sticks, really, um, in Northern California, uh, but not in the city and not in San Francisco or anything like that. I, I grew up out in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, about a hundred miles due east of San Francisco. Um, 
at about, you know, 2000 feet elevation. And, you know, we had seasons, unlike the Bay Area, we actually sort of had seasons and it was very hot in the summer and, and uh, cold in the winter. Fascinating. <laughs> I know. Well, for San Francisco, it's just we're in a foggy haze for 11 and a half months of the year. Well, I was told that San Francisco has microclimates, so it's it's foggy and hazy in like uh, Soma, but if you go out to the Castro, it's snowing or on fire or something. I don't know. It's very very similar. Yeah, there's a polar ice cap in <laughs> Golden Gate Park. It's strange. There's a small glacier. It's amazing how that is. So so anyway, I, I grew up, uh, we, we had, uh, when I was growing up, the town, uh, it's called uh, Sonora, California. It had one stoplight. We referred to it as the light, so people would <laughs> orient by the light. They'd say, "I'm, I'm. Where, where is that?" They're like, "Oh, it's on the other side of the light. It's down by the light." It was I mean, it was that. There was it was literally the one stoplight town. Wow. And um, there there are more lights there now, but you know who cares? I'm They've added anymore. yellow and red. <laughs> there, there are more lights. It's like Twin Peaks. There's the swinging traffic light in the center of town. That was basically it. Um, and, and, uh, and so it was a, it was a fairly rural area. It was the gold rush country. Um, you know, so the miners rushed in and they might had all the gold and then they left and you were left with people with like cattle and, and, uh, some tourists and, uh, that's about it. So we, we had 45 acres of dry grass and oak trees, basically, and rolling hills like you do in California. And my dad, who grew up in, um, he grew up in Minnesota and he used to visit his um, uncle on on a family farm that they had in uh, in northern Minnesota and loved the um, loved being on the on the on the ranch with cows and horses and stuff. And he would go back home um, to St. Paul. And uh, he he said he was telling me this the other week that the smell of like horse manure on his on his jacket and his mother would be like, oh, you smell like you've been rolling around in a barn. I'm going to clean this stuff. And he didn't want his mother to clean it because he loved it so much. So wow. when he was when he was older and able to to um, to do this, he moved basically he moved us when I was like a little baby. He moved us out into the countryside because he wanted to live out there and he bought this 45 acres and we got cows and horses and uh, and chickens and other wildlife because he really wanted to live that kind of rural now, life. Now was the motivation and I want to live where I can smell shit it's all green day? Acres. Okay. Yeah, it's basically green acres, okay. yeah. You know, you were my wife, goodbye city life. <laughs> Uh, Sonora, we are there. That's where I ended up. So, uh, yeah, so I grew up out in the the middle of nowhere with, we, we had one bookstore. We had no record store. How was the Wi-Fi? Um, the (laughs) Wi-Fi was poor. We got four channels on the TV. We had a big aerial on a barn actually, because we had many, we had several kind of decrepit barns and, uh, and so my dad was really into this and then he got, for some reason, I don't even know why. I think maybe he saw one somewhere. He was like, Oh, you know, I got the horses. I could get a buggy. And he then he got a, he got this decrepit old buggy and we and trained a horse to pull it and that led to another buggy uh, and, and ultimately led to the getting these two horses that were you know actually well trained supposedly to be because horses don't come fully formed able to pull things if you tie them to something it doesn't work that way they actually have to be really trained and so he he bought these two trained Tennessee walking mares to pull these buggies. Um, and I think all of our the, the other four horses that we had were miffed by this because they're like, oh well, what you know, what are we? Are you the answer is you're a horse. You're a horse that can't pull anything. That's what you are. <laughs> you're just you're useless. You're decoration, really. Decorative um, horse. And so, 
so anyway, he had these, and and it was a it was kind of I, I didn't really realize that this was not a usual thing that a kid growing up in the late seventies and early eighties would have with buggies and horses and things. We were out in the countryside, um, and one day in I, I want to say like nineteen eighty five end of end of eighty five early eighty six, um, he was driving the horses around on a, on a buggy in our in, in in our kind of like front yard by the highway there's a it's just dry it was like a track it was dry grass and and he had taken a tractor and kind of leveled around an oval so that you could drive the horses around it um and and he was out there and uh knew I had this video camera cuz I like making movies with my friends when I was in high school and he said why don't you take some shots of the buggy so we'll get some video of the buggy and then you can get some video on the buggy so I got on the buggy uh, which I did occasionally, but you know, so it wasn't anything like this was the only time I did it. But um, I got on, and uh, and I can tell you from the videotape evidence because the tape was rolling <laughs> that there was like a, the horse stepped on like a, a a stick or something, and it cracked, and it spooked them, and they began to to uh, to go very fast toward the opposite fence the fence at the opposite end of the of the pasture and my you can hear my dad on the tape going whoa whoa and the horses don't <laughs> listen to him and the only thing that stopped the horses from running headlong into this fence and killing themselves was a self-preservation instinct that made them veer at the very last second but they veered so severely that the buggy itself uh turned over and wow. my father and I were ejected from the buggy and slammed against a, a wood fence that was also lined with uh, chicken wire oh. to keep pests out and smashed into this at fairly high velocity. I ended up with a lot of cuts, I think mostly I think from the metal ties and the chicken wire all over my legs. Um, and my dad ended up with a, a hematoma on his hip and he, he may still even have a little bit of a bump on his hip, but it was it swelled up to kind of large size and he was he was uh, kind of uh, incapacitated for uh, several weeks. Wow. And uh, and the, the videotape kind of gets all fuzzy and then it, and it resolves itself on the ground on its side with the the buggy overturned and the wheels the these big wagon wheels spinning and the horses are like halfway gone continuing to run trailing like <laughs> their their uh their leash behind them but the buggy has been completely detached so I have two so, questions immediately yeah. spring to mind number one like bonanza number one if the camera's on its side and the buggy's on its side do you get deceived by the video and think that the buggy is standing right side up well, it's a nice moment when the when the when the video kind of flickers and comes to, um, it, 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 where you go, what, well, what am I looking at? And then you realize, oh, that wheel's up in the air, and those are horses <laughs> running away. Those are the mystery that's <laughs> running off into the distance. And then question two um, is, when is this video getting on YouTube? Oh, that's a good question. I have I have it. I I have digitized it. And my mother, I said to my mother, "Well, I've got that uh, horse video." And she's like, "I don't, I don't ever want to see that again." And in fact, that was that that accident marked the end of my dad's um, uh, hobby of buggies and horses. And within I think a year, um, they were all gone because my mother basically said. Um, uh, I never trusted the. I never trusted horses, and now they've tried to kill you. Um, they're gone. Just I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And and that was the, that was the end of that. What, what um, happens to which old to horses? To this day, I'm not a big fan of the horses. Uh, well, we sold them. Okay. I mean, you could sell you could sell horses, and they were trained to. Yeah, I don't know if you have to disclose that they sp- spooked and uh, and uh, caused an accident and destroyed a buggy. <laughs> there were no lemon report websites for horses back then. Horsefacts.com. <laughs> but. Um, 
Uh, anyway, that that was uh, my mom put her foot down, and, and that was the end of that. But to this day, I have friends who love horses. My old boss, Rick LePage, who was the editor at MacWorld for a while, he's a he he had a horse. I think maybe he still has a horse, and, and did like horse jumping, and always joked about how um, he would go to horse shows, and and his whole job was to make little girls cry because most of the participants in this were little girls on their horses, and then this dude with a horse, and he would win things, <laughs> and the girls would be sad, right? And so he and I had a nice back and forth about he'd be like oh i love horses i'm like i hate horses they're evil and they want to kill me and they're going down and he would send me pictures of his horse and be like jason i'm coming for you (laughs) but i don't have a fear of horses i just don't think they're very bright and i don't like them have you had nightmares about horses ever since no, I have no nightmares about horses That's because, good. like I said, I have no fear of I don't I, I have no fear of them. I understand them. I don't think they're very bright. I don't like them. I, I they're beautiful animals, but they're really stupid and uh, and dangerous because they're so dumb. Um, they're not they're not like predatory, like smart, dangerous. They're just big, powerful, dumb, dangerous. Like other drivers, am I right? <laughs> that, yeah, you know, defensive driving is is not that different from what I grew up with, which is walking around in a pasture and knowing, you know, their horses are over here and the cows are over here and they may do stupid things and you need to be aware so you can climb up a fence if you need to get away from them. No, I'm, I'm just wondering when you say you sold the horses, like do you sell the horses to other people who want horses or do you sell them to like the, <laughs> the glue, glue factory? factory? Right. <laughs> no, you, you sell them to other people. Okay. Yeah, you know, we, all, all um, we had at, at one point, I think we had six horses and, and – and, um, and they were all sold to other people who either wanted to train them for horseback riding because the, the the quarter horses we had could be uh, – at least some of them could be ridden on a saddle. But they just couldn't uh, pull. They weren't uh, – you know, it's even worse is actually two of them were being trained to pull horse and buggy. And the reason that they didn't complete their training is that the guy who was training them was thrown by a different horse and died. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Horses. I'm telling you. So, it's so no horses good. were harmed in the making of this episode, but several humans he, were. You've You've totally talked me out of a horse. The romanticism of the Old West, I'm just saying, the horses were not that, that good. The ones you see in the movies, those are really well-trained horses. Actual horses, not so good. Thank God for the horseless carriage. Well, I'm getting rid of all the horses that we have now. That's it. Yeah, send them away. They're gone. I'm telling you. To, to, to owners who will love them, not to the glue factory. I draw the line there. I'm going to the top bidder. Horses are beautiful when seen at a distance in a field, standing or running. Great. Just... Don't hitch them to things and then stand on those things. It's a bad idea. I have a small dog, but I don't use her as a form of transportation, so I think I'll be all right. You know, every time I go to New York, I laugh, too, because I see I was I was in a cab and we were behind a horse and carriage by Central Park. And I'm like, dude, what, for, what? this is wrong in so many ways. It's like, don't don't get pulled by a horse, one. And you're in New York City. You have no need to be pulled by a horse. Uh, I have no romantic feelings toward the horse-drawn carriage. I, and I there's also, especially in Times Square at night, like seven days a week, you'll see a lot of uh, of uh, horseback uh, police officers from the NYPD. And I always think that's so weird. Like, who are they actually going to catch? The horse has no room to run. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I guess they're good for crowd control. Right, right. And they're, you know... They're good for people. Yeah. But, you know, you wouldn't have, like, a wild horse chase or, like, horse versus vehicle <laughs> high-speed chase. I don't think that That does happen, happen in but... true lies, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, the horse through the thing and he doesn't jump off the edge. I've seen it. I've seen it. I'm just saying. At 49ers games uh, at Candlestick Park out here in San Francisco, they have the San Francisco police mounted patrol there. And it's a it's a crowd control thing. They're kind of around the edges of the stadium. Gotcha. Yeah, because people should fear horses. My big horse story, that's horse, H-O-R-S-E story, is sure. uh, on our honeymoon, right. 
when when Lauren and I went on our honeymoon, we took a, a cruise to Mexico, and one of the stops was a day that we had planned to uh, go swimming with dolphins in the morning, and then to do a horseback ride in the afternoon. And you know, the, the swimming with dolphins, you can do that in a lot of different ways. But we did the this was our honeymoon, so we went all out. We did the most expensive way, where you literally can like grab onto the dolphins' fins, and it takes you around, and you're like you're hardcore in the water with them. So then that afternoon, it starts pouring rain, but you don't want to cancel your excursion because you don't know when you're going to be back there and you've already paid for it and all the other things. So, so you get- you use the term, uh, use the phrase uh, hardcore and you've, you've heard the stories of dolphins like sexually assaulting people, right? Right. It wasn't that hardcore. Okay. I mean, second base. Yes. Well, um, I mean, but the dolphin, huh. the dolphin pushed me away when I tried to aim for th- anyway. So the, um, <laughs> denied, <laughs> It's pouring rain as we ride our horses on this long, long trail, and there's a, a little lake you're supposed to have them – I mean, it's really like a, a river that you're supposed to have them walk across, and it's supposed to be super shallow, but because it's been pouring rain now for several hours, uh, it's up you know, halfway up the horses' bodies, and they're not thrilled about trudging through, but they sort of do what they're told. These would be better-behaved horses than the ones that Jason had on the farm, but there was – at the end of the – you know, you go way out somewhere and then you go back again. But at that at that peak point, they say, all right, we have about four horses who swim. And if anybody wants to ride on one of the swimming horses in this part where it's even deeper still, uh, you can't do that alone. You have to ride with one of the, the tour guides. And the tour guides are all these big, shirtless, sweaty Mexican men who... Uh- yeah. Oh, they were. But I was like, well, I swam with the dolphin today. I feel like I have to swim on a horse as well. So that I can have in one day swum with both dolphins and horses. Swum? Yeah. Hmm. And um, we're writers. We can say whatever we want. And right. um, yeah. But so I did. I mean, there's there's no punchline to the story other than I really did. I, I, swam, <laughs> I swam on both a horse and a dolphin in the same day. And so I believe that all horses are uh, amphibious. Great story, Lex. Thank you. Uh, horses I, are really the, the dolphins of land. <laughs> I, I, I think the dolphins are several orders of magnitude more intelligent. Probably. Than I hear they're very smart. I have no horse stories. No. I don't really have any farms. I've never, I, I don't, I'm not much of a farmer. I'm very much a city boy. Do you go camping? No, no. But when I was, uh, when I was 17, I lived with my dad for a while in Missouri and he bought this plot of land. It was like 10 acres or something out in the middle of nowhere, uh, south of Kansas city. And, uh, it was, I guess at one point had been kind of a farm sort of thing. I remember having to mow the lawn there and uh, it was, it was about two acres of front yard, two acres <laughs> of grass. And he was too cheap to buy a riding lawnmower. <laughs> so I had to, I had to mow this with a push mower. Wow. And uh, I came in, we had just moved to this place and I came in like that, that day. And I was exhausted, of course, from being out in the heat and, and mowing the lawn. And uh, I, 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 you know, I have dinner and I, I go to sleep and I, I wake up in the middle of the night uh, with uh, the the pain of being bitten by a tick, I think that was the moment I learned that I should never, ever, ever live on a farm. <laughs> we had a riding mower. I, I actually mowed our lawn, which was gigantic, and we had a riding mower. And I think about that sometimes when I push my little electric mower on my tiny little patch of lawn in the suburbs. That, um, but yeah, you know, see, it's funny because you, so you don't, you don't have any kind of affinity for the great outdoors. For me, I have a great excuse, which people are like, oh, don't you want to go out and uh, it's dark out there and, and there's animals and it's in the countryside. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, I did that. I did that for the first, you know, 18 years of my life. And if you count summers after college, 20, 22 years of my life. Um, yeah, 
I, I got that experience. It, it, it's not that novel to me anymore. So when people like are excited by camping and things like that, it just doesn't – camping doesn't do it for me. I, I, I did that. My parents hate the outdoors and they hate animals and they hate <laughs> camping. And so I, I learned a lot of that. I mean my parents hate you know even pet type animals. And when, when we had a dog for many years, Lauren and I, my parents were just uh, – they couldn't believe that I had a dog and they would always keep like a 10-foot minimum – distance from the dog at all times when they visited us. But with camping, I have, uh, I, I, I've never really been interested my, my two daughters wanted to go camping. And last summer, a friend of mine told them next summer, you can, I'll have a tent and you can come camp out with me in my backyard. But he was, he was lying to them, not realizing that my, I guess then four-year-old now five-year-old remembers everything. <laughs> and so as soon as it was summer again, this season, she said, Frank, when are we going camping? I'm ready to go. Jason's met Frank, by the way. Um, I have. And uh, Frank had no actual interest in camping. So my girls are begging me to go camping. And I'm like, man, I am not buying a tent and I'm not sleeping outside. So we eventually uh, reached an agreement that we would do a camp out in the basement. So we had a couple. In the basement. That's the worst camp out ever. But they loved it because we had a couple play tents. You know, My like, kids will do camp outs in the backyard. Yeah, sometimes. I don't want to. I didn't want to sleep out in the backyard. It's bugs and cold. It's not camping if you're not sleeping under stars. But we had, listen, well, this is what we did. We had two tents, you know, like a, a bed tent and just a, a regular play tent of some sort. Not outdoor tents. We had sleeping bags. My wife made like this. Um, she had paper with you know different color strips of paper with a flashlight that was blinking underneath and a fan, so it looked like it was a little fire. And we we fake roasted marshmallows over it. And should have gotten one of those uh, holiday log. <laughs> just put that on. And we told stories. This is the shittiest camping trip ever. They this loved is it. So terrible. And then they went to sleep. And I said I was going to sleep downstairs too. And then as soon as they were asleep, I went upstairs until I was ready to go to sleep. And then I went back downstairs. But uh, that satisfied their camp out desire, and I did not have to sleep outside. Camping is horrible. I hope your kids listen to this show someday. I'll gladly admit to them that I saved them from sleeping outside. Saved them. So I, we, we went, my family and I went to a, for a few years, and we might go back sometime, a family camp uh, put on by the University of California up in the mountains. Actually, not far from where I grew up. It's about, uh, it's at, uh, where I learned to ski, actually. So it's a, uh, up, the, up in the mountains a little further. You can still smell um, the manure, I, I gather. But that's not, but that's, yeah, well, there are not as many animals that, that far up. But, um but uh, that was different because that was in the national forest and they feed you and you in the afternoon you open the cooler and you drink beer and you re- like read and you go swim and you it was not with dolphins roughing it right no 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 animals no. and except for the occasional squirrel and uh, it was not roughing it and, I, and for me that was the difference it's like i like the comfort and i want them to feed me and i i don't need to be outside of completely outside of civilization that's no, no. Right. If we had a camper, I would do that. You know, <laughs> like I just I like amenities. I like actual yeah. bathrooms and things. Yeah, I, I, hear I remember when I worked as a, a camp counselor, there was <laughs> there was this uh, this camping. G- not no, technically it camping. was not camping. But on a one of our, it was magic. It was nerd magic camp, right? Yes, it was, this was, it was nerd magic camp. But I had, knew that somehow this episode would turn into you talking about being at camp again. It, it has to. Especially if we're talking about camping. But I, I, I had two days off in a row along with two friends of mine. And so one of my buddies who was from Delaware said, let's go visit my uncle in Delaware because we have two days off in a row. We can drive there and it'll be great. <laughs> That's a terrible euphemism, yeah. by the way. So we drive let's to his uncle. Visit, in, we're visiting my uncle in Delaware. As soon as we get there. Wink, wink. Yeah, as soon as we get there, his uncle goes, guys, we're going camping. 
And I'm like, oh my God, no, this cannot possibly be happening. It's not like I can say, no, uncle, let me stay at your house. There's only one car for the three of us. And, you know, it's not like, there's no way to say no to uncle Andy. And, um, <laughs> it was, it was horrible. It's like he didn't, he's like, you know, I don't have enough sleeping bags for, uh, these other two guys. So you guys will just bring some sheets and towels for you and we'll make those into little makeshift beds. So I'm basically sleeping on dirt and it was just so horrible and painful. And in the morning, speaking of sleeping under the stars, Dave, mm. we, uh, I was so mad at, uh, the, the other counselor whose uncle it was that, uh, my buddy and I lifted the tent up over him while he was sleeping and moved it away. <laughs> so when he woke up, he was really, truly just completely out there in the open and he freaked out, which was good. So that one part was worth it, but it was horrible. It was such a waste of two days off. You should have at least tied him up in a tree to not attract bears. <laughs> Next time. I don't camp. That's the moral of the story. Hey, uh, Dave and Jason, let me pause you right there for one second uh, so we can acknowledge our sponsor for this episode of Unprofessional, which is brought to you by Igloo. Igloo is a digital workplace that lets you give updates, have discussions, and share files with your team, I guess when you're being professional, all in one place. So how does Igloo help you at work? Uh, You can keep on task without having to update your team or your manager or your manager's manager. It's there inside your team's blog. You can see if someone's messing with the project. You can look at the activity stream to see what files people are creating, what they're actually sharing with each other, sharing with clients. You can share links, have discussions with the team, and document everything that's happening. Wow. And you can do it without trying to pull your hair out managing that kind of communication with like six different platforms. So stop shaking your fist at your inbox or giving it the finger. Igloo starts at $99 per month for a team of 25 people. scales to the enterprise. So get your team inside the Igloo with a free 30-day trial. We've got a special URL for you, igloosoftware.com slash unprofessional. Again, it's igloosoftware.com slash unprofessional. And uh, because Igloo is so cool and so supportive of this podcast, they're also going to give one listener uh, from our show a $150 gift card to the iTunes store. And that's uh, that's pretty awesome. That's a lot of angry birds. Like that's probably furious birds at that point, at the $150 point. So igloosoftware.com slash unprofessional. Check it out. Uh, Igloo can make your company's intranet suck a lot less. Uh, so that's probably worth looking into. <laughs> Thank you, Igloo. I love you. Thank you, Igloo. Yeah, I've never been the outdoorsy type. I don't have the mindset for it. I'm absolutely a city boy. If, if I could do camping if I had a, a camper van and Wi-Fi and plenty of power and had brought food. See, I find it funny that we, we've ended up in the same place coming from these opposite directions because you guys are kind of, uh, kind of city boys. Who've decided that in a, I, I dare, dare I say, it's almost like the, doesn't Woody Allen have a joke about camping? And it's like, he doesn't understand it because, because he's from New York City, right? I, I'm from out in the middle of nowhere where people go to camp. And yet I have arrived at the same destination you have, which is, I, I kind of don't mind uh, living in a place with electricity and yeah. not so many cows and, uh, I don't need to go back and and lay on the ground in the dirt and have bugs. I'm pretty sure no one has ever described me as having grown up as a city boy before, so I appreciate that. Where did you? Well, you grow up well, uh, suburbs. I, yes, yeah, grow I grew up, up in, in Wyoming, missing okay. Pennsylvania, which is well, that's fancy city talk yeah. from where I come. It was, from. I mean, it, it, it was a a, a borough. <laughs> um, it's a suburb of Reading, which you know from the Monopoly board, the Reading Railroad. Yes. Yes, well, my mom's from Pennsylvania, so I know all oh, those right. crazy places. But I mean, in Pennsylvania. it's a very but, small town. But, but yeah, from my perspective, though, that's like civilization. Yes, you had. Right. There were multiple traffic lights, and there was, you know, an area hospital. More than more than we one didn't light. have we to kill a, our we own had food. Hospital. 
we had a hospital, but I had to go an hour to um, when we went, when school was about to start, and you had to get your school clothes and your school supplies and all that. That was an hour to the shopping mall because the shopping mall was an hour plus away. Yeah, I grew up in many, many, many places. I've moved all over the damn place. Uh, as as I've talked about before, that time that I've spent in Vegas, I grew up in some of the bad parts of L.A., Denver. At no point would I have classified any of that as being any less uh, city than a suburb. I've always had plenty yeah. of stoplights. I've always had plenty of electricity and running water and indoor <laughs> plumbing. I love those things. See, see, and I never lived in a suburb until I bought my house in um in suburban san francisco in in marin county i had never lived in a suburb before never had neighbors really before my kids and my wife had this experience of growing up in a suburb and it's completely alien to me i i I didn't have neighbors i didn't have a a kid next door that i could go visit or a kid next door who hated me which was probably more likely i just didn't have a kid next there was nobody next door there was no next door next door the our neighbor was like there was a guy across the highway and down a ways and the closest friend i had was like a 25 minute walk or like a fifteen-minute bike ride down a scary road. Well, so I wanted to I ask: mean, Like, did you have yeah. playmates? Like, did you play, or were you mostly? Do you have siblings? I, I, we well, it, it was. Um, I have three uh, half siblings from my my dad's first marriage, um, and I didn't live with two of them. And one of them I lived with for like five years when I was uh, like kindergarten to fifth grade or so. And I never he was a sullen teen. I, I think back now and didn't want to be there, and we I, I never saw him. Um, but, uh, for play dates and things, I mean, they were, they, uh, we did the play date thing. I mean, it would be, let's take the kids over to somebody's house or some, the kids would come to my house and we'd play for, for a few hours. I mean, that was the only way to do it. They, we, none of us were close enough. Even when we were like in seventh and eighth grade, we weren't really close enough to get to each other, uh, on our own. I mean, until, until people started getting cars in high school, there was really no way, to see your friends other than school or, you know, parents kind of gathering you together. So somewhere. you probably did not date until car age at the earliest, right? Oh, well, I, it was longer than that, Lex, <laughs> but the cars had nothing to do with it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was, uh, that was a problem, right? I mean, if you wanted, if you wanted to see people, whether they be your, your friends or, or, or potential, you know, girlfriends, you couldn't, Somebody had to have a car, and if and if you didn't have a car, because I didn't have a car, um, or the girl you liked didn't have a car. I actually had one of those in high school where the girl I liked didn't have a car, I didn't have a car, and there was like a girl we both knew Ugh. who knew we liked each other who was like, well, I could drive you each to this other location, and it was like, <laughs> no, that's dead. No, Jason, it's not going to work. They would drive up to Lover's Lane, and Jason would have to put a blanket down. <laughs> There's a yeah. row of cars, and yeah. then just one spot where Jason's sitting on the ground. Drop me up. Oh, I, I thought. Well, or we kick out, or we kick out the girl who drove us right. there, and just tell her to come yeah. back later to, to, for her car. I need ten minutes. <laughs> Sleep under the stars. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that, that was awkward. That gets easier now though. I mean, if, if, if you were to go through that today, I, I imagine it would be made a lot easier just by being able to keep in touch with people like through IM or, or email or something, Facebook. Well, I mean, my first, there's no, there's no, um, mystery to the fact that I met my first girlfriend on a computer bulletin board for basically for that reason, because that, that was actually an easier way to communicate with people than, um, than, uh, you know, through passing through various classes in high school and then you're like, uh, 
bye, see ya. <laughs> Got to go home. And then you're out on the range with the cows again, which is lonely with those cows. And what's amazing is if you guys exchanged pictures back then, it probably took like 45 minutes per picture. <laughs> it was a dithered. Oh, he's got uh, eyes. He's got eyes. That, <laughs> we, we actually had to use the mail. Actually, we the photos the photos were exchanged in the that mail. That is so funny. What I remember so vividly is when people wanted pictures, you would have to I would have to sign off so I could plug my quick cam into the modem port to take the picture, oh. and then unplug the quick cam again, plug the modem back in, and redial AOL. That's what I remember. I remember having to take pictures and then get the the film developed and then go find somebody with a scanner, go to Kinko's or something, and then save it off to a floppy disk and then go home and email it. I had a handheld multi-pass... Jason, am I allowed to talk about this? I had a handheld multi-pass You're scanner. You're fired. You're fired, Lex. And it was so... You had it like... You know, it, the software that was supposed to... It was able to do OCR and it was supposed to be able to do photo stitching. So it would try to look at the multi-passes and, you know, and stitch the stuff back together. And it was horrible. It was just... the And it, you had to go so slowly. And it was absolutely the worst scanner that humanity has ever created. That sounds pretty awful, Lex. Yeah, see, we didn't have any of that really advanced technology when I was in high school, and by the time I got to college, the girls were actually there, physically. <laughs> so it wasn't as big an issue then. Life improved dramatically, I imagine. Yeah, well, so this is the thing, is is I went off to college, and that was, I, I'd grown up in a town of a couple thousand people. I mean, my high school was big. My high school was probably 1,200 people, but it was literally almost every person in the in the county from the ages of 14 to 18 were at this high school or at least until they dropped out just drove the trucks around all day um and and then i went off to college and and so i i went from sonora in the one traffic light <laughs> to san diego i actually didn't i got into ucla and, and uc berkeley and i didn't go because those were both a little more urban especially berkeley i wanted to go to berkeley and i went to and i'd been going to berkeley with my family for years because my dad went to berkeley and we went to the football games there and it's it's a little you know it's a little grittier and urban and i i i gravitated towards san diego i think mostly because it was suburban and yet for me that was like i i laugh at this now but that was like the most urban thing i could possibly handle because it was like there were people everywhere and cars and there were again very few cows it's so, so funny that you say that because i really had a very a similar i mean i'm sure that my towns are bigger than yours growing up but you know a very similar experience where why I'm missing in my high school there were about 120 people in my graduating class and so when i was looking at colleges i didn't necessarily my sister went to brandeis uh, where i ended up going um and I, I didn't necessarily want to do exactly what she had done, but I had looked there and I looked at a couple other schools. I looked at the University of Maryland, College Park, and it just seemed huge. You know, there were, I don't know, like 10,000 people in a class and I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. It seems enormous. And I was like, I'm, I don't know how to handle a town this big or a school this big. And at Brandeis, you know, the whole school at that time had 3,200 people. And I thought, well, that's, that's manageable. That's about as many people as are in K through 12 and why I'm missing. I can handle 3,000 something. And so that's what I ended up doing. For me, coming out of high school, well, during high school, I, I as I said, I, I never really lived in the, the country or anything like that, mostly suburbs and, and the outskirts of a city, but it was always away from the epicenter of the city. So through high school, when I could start driving, and even as a younger adult, the idea of going town, uh, downtown 
scared the hell out of me. Like, oh, there's, there's scary people. There's homeless people downtown. Yeah, well, I mean, as a kid, you can imagine me coming from the place with the one traffic light, <laughs> and we would we would go uh, occasionally. My parents would go to things in downtown San Francisco. I remember going to a place that was like a seminar for what colleges you should apply to that was in downtown San Francisco. I remember driving there and thinking, this is absolutely crazy. This is like, um, you know, the biggest city I've ever seen because I'd never been to New York or anything like that. It's just crazy. And when I moved here, I remember driving through the city a few times and thinking, um, you know, I, I need to not do this. I just need to be in my suburb and get in, get on the bus or get in the train and go and then, and then, and then immediately leave. And now after having lived on the outskirts of San Francisco for more than a decade, I drive through the city in my little stick shift Honda Civic up these giant hills and zooming through different lanes and like, and it, it doesn't face me at all. It's, uh, and I occasionally will think, wow, this is, if you had told my 17-year-old self that I would be driving freely through the insane streets of San Francisco with all these people and all this traffic. I would never have believed it, but it's it doesn't seem it doesn't seem that that big now. And that, and that, I guess that's the thing about growing up in a small town that really has struck me is that now, you know, now I live where there's lots of people and I don't live in the gritty downtown core of a city and yet for me it's it's still such a huge difference in in my life from the the life I spent the first 20 years I was alive. I remember when I was a kid, we uh, we took a field trip to downtown Denver, the 16th Street Mall, which is like a big outdoor. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's a street, and you yeah, can't there. can't drive up and down it. But uh, there's shops and all this other stuff, and it's very downtown. No, it's very... like there must have been like a railroad or something that went through there, and they cleared out and made it this big walking area and stuff. It's it's nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great part of town. I, and I, now I, I live just a few blocks from there. But at the time when I was a kid, I we take this field trip and we go down to the 16th Street Mall. And it was a huge deal and I was really excited. And we're standing outside during our little lunch area and there's a phone booth or a phone a payphone and it, it it rings. And so I walk over, I hear a ringing phone. I, I walk over <laughs> and I I answer and I say hello and I must have been, I don't know, 9 or 10 or something. And I answer the phone. And this voice, this like gritty voice on the other end of the phone is like, hey, hey, kid, there a lady with a baby there? <laughs> and I just kind of go, uh, and I hang up. <laughs> and I don't know. It could have been completely innocent. But in my head, I guess maybe I'd seen too many movies. In my head, I had this whole story of there's a <laughs> sniper uh, awaiting a drug deal. And I, get, I better get the hell out of here because there's somebody's going to get killed and I shouldn't have answered the phone. And now I'm involved in it. I was and thinking I, like a horror movie, right? Like place the baby near the phone and I would eat it through <laughs> the phone. You know, I, I go to, I, I'm very close to both New York city and Philadelphia and I almost never go to Philadelphia and I go to New York city. I don't know, 10 times a year or fewer. And I don't know. I, I, I hate it. <laughs> I I just I, when I'm in you know I lived in LA for several years and I guess that counts as a big city although LA is so sprawling yeah. and spread out that it's it's barely a big city I mean it's a big city with lots of smaller neighborhoods that are kind of distinct and autonomous in their own ways LA but yeah 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 LA is one big suburb really but I mean when I go to New York I just right. I'm totally I I mean I can get by particularly because I I have an iPhone and I have lots of family and friends near in New Jersey who can tell me what to do when I get there but I'm just I'm overwhelmed <laughs> it's too big I can't handle I, it I have had dinner with you in in New York City and you did seem somewhat overwhelmed which I thought was funny since you live in New Jersey right but you were we were right off of Times Square and you were like oh man I you know all both times I've seen you in New York City actually you were harried and and uh and sweaty and sweaty that doesn't sound like me yeah well until you saw me and then you relax and you're like oh now i'm in a safe place jason is here there's that i haven't seen jason yet tension that's true yeah that's right anything could happen 
Lex, you you sound codependent in that story. Uh, the thing is, I love Jason. Yes, <laughs> you're hired. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's uh, so good. That didn't get awkward. I, I'm just glad. You know what? I I feel justified in hating camping if Jason grew up in the great outdoors and doesn't like it any more than I do. I don't think it's for everybody. I live in, I mean, I live in Colorado and it is, this is very, very much an outdoorsy place and people love their hiking and they love their fishing and their, their trails and they all dress in clothes that they bought at REI and it is just not for me. I've never even been skiing. I like hiking. I like, I like skiing. Okay. I like hiking and there, there's a mountain behind, um, the town that I live in. I live in Mill Valley and Mount Tamalpais is right behind. And there are all these great tra- hiking trails and I like hiking. It actually reminds me of, of things I liked about being a kid and walking around our, our property. And we had big hills that I could walk over and creeks that I could jump over and stuff like that. It's the, the camping part where suddenly, you know, you have to figure out I, like when I'm hiking, I don't need to I don't need to find a place to pee out in nature. I don't need to, I don't need to, to let the sun go down and have the bugs come out and start to bug, to to bug me and to bite me. I don't have to lay down on dirt and rocks and try to sleep as it gets colder or, or make a tent that's all, you know, weird and humid. And I, I don't, that's the part that I, that's where I draw the line. It's like, I don't mind being out like in the air. (laughs) It's, it's okay. But, but to stay there, for too long seems I, I don't need to do that. Whenever I do wind up in a situation where I'm in an outdoor setting, like beyond just going outside, doing something outdoors, I'm always just tickled by the novelty of it. Like, Hey, look at me. I'm out in like, I'm 10 miles away from the city. I'm so far from civilization <laughs> right now. That's right. Public transportation may only reach here slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I only get two bars of service. Oh yeah. Oh my God. It's we're on three G now. <gasps> No, I think that the public transportation thing is part of my New York aversion is, you know, why missing did not have any. And so, you know, I'm, I take a bus to New York and then you're supposed to take the subway and I just have, I have no real world experience with it other than my very rare and occasional visits to New York. And I'm, I feel like I'm too old to learn it and understand it. So that, that's why huh. I'm sweaty and harried. I understand. I understand and the hairy? nerves of that. I mean, I, I <laughs> yes, that's well, that goes without saying. I realized I've been a public transportation commuter for 16 years now. Uh, which is crazy. And I remember when I first started taking the bus, which was probably about 12 or 13 years ago. Um, before that, I lived where Bart went and I took the train. And I was really nervous about buses. And there's something about like, the train is on a track. The train is going to come and then it's going to leave. And you know where it's going to go because it's going to go on the track unless there's a horrible catastrophe. It's going to go on the track, right? But the bus, there's something shifty about buses, right? Like, uh, you know, the driver could just go somewhere else and what would we do? Right. And it took me quite a while to, uh, to get comfortable and know like which buses went where and which one I wanted. And, and then like I got comfortable and like within a couple of years of getting comfortable one day, the bus driver forgot where he was going and went in this totally different route. And everybody on the bus is like, Hey, what? Oh, and, and everybody's freak out about not being in control of the bus. Came out. <laughs> you know, literally the, just two weeks ago, I took a bus into Manhattan and we got hit by a car. Uh, <laughs> the driver was approximately 200 years old. He was trying to cut ahead of the bus in a bus only lane outside the Lincoln tunnel, realized he wasn't going to have time to get ahead of the bus on this curve and stopped right in the bus driver's blind spot. So the driver, the bus hit the car, but it was the car's fault. Then we're blocking the two lanes of traffic going into the, uh, the Lincoln tunnel, which is, as you might imagine, a lot of traffic and the car, the driver of the car refuses to move. (laughs) 
<laughs> because he wants the police to see his car. Now, that's a very bad idea for his case, since he's very clearly at fault and in the bus-only lane. So there's this huge and growing line of buses stuck behind us. They're respectfully not honking, because they realize there's nothing that my bus driver can do. But the we had to wait about 10 minutes for the NYPD to show up, and then we have to fill out police reports, we have to fill out bus reports, and then finally we have to flag, as soon as you know they make the, the driver move his car, and our bus can get out of the way, you know, the buses start zooming by. Meanwhile, all the people from this bus are trying to wave down any of the buses headed to Port Authority saying, please take pity on us and stop and let us ride the rest of the way. Finally, a bus lets us on. And that same bus ride when I've already been harried and sweaty, uh, thanks to this car accident, and the car really crashed right into where I was sitting on the bus. Then the bus driver, as we're approaching Port Authority, we're a couple blocks away, he says, uh, I'm hearing the traffic's really bad getting into Port Authority, so everybody got off the bus now. And I had no idea where I was. He just literally let us off at a random intersection. And this is why I hate the bus. And that car was driven by a horse. Thank you.